With Hashem's assistance, we learn about Bekam and Dafayin Gimel, page 73. We begin eight lines in, towards the end of the line. Tanan, we learned that in Mishnah. Gunam al if somebody stole based on the words of two, meaning there are two witnesses who saw them steal. And the same set of witnesses said that they slaughtered the animal or they sold the animal. So now they owe five based on the, based on the testimony of those people. And then it turns out that these witnesses who were testifying, they were found to be false witnesses. Their person was contradicted. So now the Torah says that such people, they have to pay the amount that they attempted to cause the person to have to pay. So they pay the full four or five times that they attempted to cause this person to have to pay. My love, the Gemara says, perhaps the case is that first these witnesses testified about the fact that these people, this person, stole the animal. And then on a separate occasion, they testified to the fact that the, the person had slaughtered it or sold the animal. And then perhaps the case is furthermore that when they became found to be false, these witnesses, first they were found to be false in regards to the, to the testimony that they said that, that the person stole. And then they were found to be false in regards to the statement that they made that this person also went and slaughtered it. So what's the implication of that? And if it would be true, like Abayas said, right, we had an argument, how does it work when they become nifsa, when they become invalid, does it work retroactively, and therefore anything that was said in the interim is also invalid, or does it go from now on? So according to Abayas, it works retroactively. So now, let's see how things work according to him. Because if you say that it works indeed retroactively, Hani, so in this case, so since they became found to be invalid on the first half of their testimony, which was stated separately, which was that this person had stolen it becomes clear retroactively that when they said the second half of their testimony which was in regards to the slaughtering that they were already invalid so if they're already invalid so then their testimony is meaningless and therefore we can't say that they were said that they said something and then they became found to be invalid they were invalid to begin with so why would they have to pay for the second half of their statement all they should have to pay is two times not five times so Gemara says Amri we say like this what's the case over here that the first thing that they, that they were found to be false in regards to was the second half of their testimony. And therefore, that's why they have to pay the full five times. And therefore, so when it becomes clear retroactively, so they were already invalid in regards to the second half of their testimony. That's why they have to pay five times. Amri the says, hold on a second. Even if you do it in that order, but when, they become clear, when it becomes clear that they were invalid in regards to the first half of the testimony, which was that they said that the person had stolen, in any event, it becomes clear that when they said their testimony in regards to the second half, which was the slaughtering, they were already invalid. They still should have no obligation to pay for the second half of their testimony because they were false to begin with. They were found to be invalid retroactively. But Hilchus Agdemar says the case is, the halacha is, in regards to a case where that they had not stated the two halves of the testimony separately. Actually, they stated the two halves of the testimony, the first half being that the person stole, and the second half being that the person slaughtered the animal or sold the animal. Those were said at the same exact time. For Huzu, and then they were found to be false in regards to the entire testimony. So you didn't have to separate the case, and therefore that's why they have to pay either four or five times the original value, because that's what they attempted to cause to him. Let us say that this is actually an argument between different Tanoim, not just an argument between Rav and Abaye, who are Amoraim, rabbis of the Gemara. Let's say you had two people who were testifying about the fact that uh, a certain person stole. And then they testify about the fact that he also slaughtered it. They were found to be false, they were found to be contradicted, the person, in regards to the testimony that he had stolen. So the Tanakam here says, the first Tana says, that if you have part of the testimony that is getting rescinded, so the entire testimony is gone. 
let's say only the second half of the testimony was found to be false, so then the first part remains extant, the first person, the person who stole it, he has to pay for the double, and the witnesses, so they attempted to cause him to have to pay another three parts, not three times, so that's what they have to pay. When are we speaking about over here that this is true? If we're talking about two separate testimonies, if we're talking about a single testimony, so then we would say that even if the second half of the testimony, meaning the part where they testified about the fact that he had slaughtered it, if that's found to be false, so then the entire testimony that they had said is gone, and therefore there's not going to be any obligation on the person who had been accused of stealing to have to pay any part of this payment. Now, when Rebbe is talking about a single testimony, two testimonies, what is he speaking about precisely? If when he says that we're talking about two separate testimonies, he means two separate testimonies, literally. Meaning, two separate groups of witnesses. And when he says one testimony, means one set of witnesses, but they said it on two different days. Would it be that Rebbe is saying that in regards to a single testimony, what does that mean? Meaning, a single group, where they said it on two when they first speak about the fact that this person stole something, and the next day they speak about the fact that he slaughtered the thing, now that they become found to be false in regards to the second statement that they made on the second day, which was a slaughtering, so now they're going to come, and they're going to cancel out the first statement they made on the previous day, and they're going to also be found to be false in regards to the statement that they made on the first day in regards to stealing, where do we ever find such a thing that something that they said on the second day would cancel out something that they said on the first day? Elalav, so it must be. What does it mean when we say two witnesses, two testimonies? It means a single testimony that's similar to two testimonies. What's that? Kas a single group. Where they said it on two different days, or perhaps on two different occasions on the same day. But if we're talking about a single testimony, what do we mean? That if we're talking about where they said it at the same time, meaning they said it within a certain amount of time, so then Rabbi Yosi would hold that you can't separate the two parts of the statement, and therefore the whole entire thing is bottle, their accusation falls off, and the person who had supposedly stolen doesn't have to pay anything, and they have to pay. And everyone will agree that when you say two statements, in this case two testimonies, within a certain amount of time, meaning you say the first testimony and then you don't pause too much, a very short amount of time you pause and you say the second testimony, so it's considered that the two testimonies are connected. And perhaps this is what they're arguing about. The sages hold that it doesn't work retroactively to the time that he originally made the statement, but rather it works from the time that the two new witnesses are coming in saying that those original witnesses were not good witnesses. And since it's only from that time, only regards the statement that they had made, which is that they accused the person of slaughtering, only in regards to that statement do they become found to be false. And therefore they only have to pay, according to the sages, that amount, that three times. In regards to the first statement that they made, even though it was stated within a certain amount of time of the second statement, since they're not being found to be false in regards to that statement, so then they're not going to have to pay for that half. Rabbi Yossi suffered, but Rabbi Yossi holds that the whole thing works retroactively. Since going back to that time when they originally made that statement, they are becoming invalidated. So when they are found to be false in regards to the statement that they made in regards to slaughtering, so they also are found to be false, invalidated in regards to the first part of their statement, since it was stated within a very small amount of time. 
So it comes out that in fact the argument, it sounds like this b'risa, the argument between these uh, Tanoim, is going to be the same exact argument as Abayin Rebbe, who were Amorim, the, the sages of the Gemara. The Gemara doesn't like to say that. We don't like to have the same exact argument stated by the sages of the Gemara that was stated already by the sages of the b'risa or the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, Amri, so we say like this, Actually, the argument has to do with the fact whether or not we say that if you say it within that small amount of time, if you make the two statements almost concurrently, whether or not that's considered that the two statements are connected. The Kuleyama, everyone agrees, that the psul, the invalidation that occurs, will indeed happen retroactively. But the argument has to do with the fact that do we connect the second statement which they're getting invalidated on? Do we connect that statement to the first statement? Rabban and Savar, the sages say that you disconnect the We turn to Ayin Gimel, that the second half of the statement is not connected to the first half of the statement, even though they were said almost concurrently. They were said one after the other, but Rabbi Yehissi holds that since the two statements were stated very close to each other, so since the second half of the statement is getting invalidated, we can connect it to the first half of the statement and thereby invalidate the first half of the statement as well. Now, the Gemara challenges what we just said. Is it really true that Rabbi Yossi holds that if you say a statement within this small amount of time, so it's considered that the two statements are connected, but at the time we have an explicit Mishnah that seems to say not that way. Let's say somebody says, I want this animal to have the holiness of an Ola, which is a certain type of sacrifice. And then he says, I want it to have the holiness of a Shlomo, which is a different type of sacrifice, but a different type of holiness. So Rameer says that you can't change your mind and therefore you're going, we go after the first thing that you said, which was that it should have the holiness of an Ola. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, If he intended it this way originally, meaning he meant that it should have both types of holiness, since it's impossible for someone to make an animal to be both holy as an Ola and holy as a Shlamim, two different types of sacrifices, so what does he mean? His words will be established, what he says will take effect how? Rashi explains that what happens is, we allow this animal to get a blemish, when it gets a blemish, you sell the animal, then half of the money has the holiness of an ola, that one type of holiness, and half of the money has the holiness of a shlamim, this other type of holiness. So we can, in a certain sense, get his words to mean something and to take effect. However, if he said first that I wanted to be, to have the holiness of an ola, and then he changes his mind, and he says, I wanted to have the holiness of a shlamim, meaning he didn't say the two statements concurrently. He didn't say them one after the other right away, but rather he waited a short span of time, so then indeed Rabbi Yossi agrees that you go after the first statement that he made, which was that it should have the holiness of an Ola, and therefore that's all the holiness that it has, we don't combine the two statements, and now the Gemara says we discuss about this Mishnah as follows, if he changes his mind, it's obvious of course, it doesn't have the second statement, it goes after the first statement, it has the first holiness, that the Chiddush, the novelty of Rabbi Yossi's statement is that we're talking about a case where you changed your mind within a small span of time, in other words, you said, Harezu Tmuras Oli, so this should have the holiness of an Ola, and then within a very small amount of time, you said, No, I want it to be a Shlomim. So, in, the, in, the, in that case, since you're changing your mind, and it's within a certain amount of time, you might have thought that maybe it should have both holinesses. So, Rabbi Yossi is coming to say that no, we don't connect the two parts of the statement, even though they were said within a small amount of time, and therefore it only has the first holiness and not both holinesses upon it. So, but what do we see? We see in this Mishnah that Rabbi Yossi holds that even though you made the two statements within a short span of time, we don't connect the two statements. So how can we say that over here he holds that we do connect the two statements?
Amri, the Gemara answers, Actually, there are two different possible ways of explaining the concept of this short span of time. Chad, one of the ways of explaining it is, The amount of time that it takes for a student to say hello to his master, to his teacher. And one is a shorter span of time, which is the amount of time that it takes for the master to say hello to his student. When does Rabbi Yossi say that we don't connect the two statements? When we're talking about the longer span of time, which is the amount of time that it takes for a person to say hello to his master. That's the amount of time it takes to say, Shalom Alecha, Rabbi Umari. Peace unto you, my teacher, my master. Did not fish, which is a longer span of time. So once you've, you've stated something within this span of time, so it's already considered that the two statements are not connected. However, if you said it so close, that it's the amount of time that a person would, t- would say to his student, hello, Shalom Alecha, which is just a statement of peace unto you, so then he would hold that shorter span of time is considered that the two statements are connected. So in the first price of which we quoted, which was in regard to two different statements by, by one set of witnesses, so if you said it within this smaller span of time, they are considered connected. So if the second half of the statement becomes invalidated, the first half of the statement will become invalidated as well, according to Rabbi Yezi. Whereas in the Mishnah, which we quoted, where you had two different statements that were not getting connected, even though they were said within this Tokyo de Dibur, within a certain span of time, it was a larger span of time, which is the amount of time that it takes for someone to say, hello, peace unto you, to my master, my teacher, and that span of time was a larger span of time. Therefore, the two statements are not considered connected, and therefore we go by the first statement, which was that the holiness of the animal should have to do with an ola, and not not the shlamim, not this different type of holiness. Amar Rabbi, Rabbi says, Let's say you have a set of witnesses that first, before they are found to be contradicted in regards to their person, first they're contradicted in regards to what they said. Meaning, you have two witnesses who say that Ruvain killed Shimon. And then two, another set of witnesses comes, comes along and says, No, it's not true. Ruvain did not kill Shimon. So now, the first set of witnesses is being contradicted. And then a third set of witnesses come and says that the first set of witnesses, they couldn't have even seen Ruben Kel Shimon because they were with us on that day. So now, in such a case, Neherogen, they are killed. So in other words, even though their original statement was contradicted so that their statement was no longer valid, but since a, th- a third set of witnesses came and contradicted their person, what they attempted to do to so-and-so is now done to them. They attempted to get him killed. They are killed. Why? Because when a set of witnesses is contradicted, that's considered like the beginning of a hazama, where not just their statement is being contradicted, but their person is being contradicted. So therefore, we can in fact apply the concept of hazama that they get what they attempted. But when they're contradicted originally, it's like the beginning and it hasn't been completed. Yet, and it's completed when another set of witnesses comes and contradicts their person. I'm a rabbi. Rabbi says, Minah, Minola. How do I know that this concept is true? The time we have a brisa. Let's say you have witnesses that are coming to say testimony about a certain person. That he knocked out the eye of his slave. And when a master knocks out the eye of his slave, so the slave goes out free. And then afterwards he knocked out his tooth. So now he has to pay his slave who is now freed because of knocking out his eye. He has to pay him for the value of his tooth. And the master, he's actually happy with the statement of these witnesses or so they claim and then it turns out that these witnesses are found to be Zomimim they're found to be false they couldn't have been there at the time so they actually have to pay the value of the eye to the slave
Hey, Chidami. Now the Gemara wants to figure out what is going on in this case. If it's simply as it's stated where you don't have another group of witnesses, why are they paying the value of the eye to the slave? After he's going out free, he's getting them, this set of witnesses is getting him out free. He's going to request them to pay the value of his eye. What does that mean? Additionally, if anything, they should have to pay the full value of the slave to the owner of the slave because that's what they attempted to try to get him to do, to give his slave out free. Not only that, what does it mean that the master is happy with this? Would he be happy with the fact that he has to let his slave go out free? It must be what's the case. The two witnesses came, and they say, that the first thing that he did was he knocked out his tooth, so now that the slave goes out free, and then he knocked out his eye, so he has to pay for the value of the eye, which is a higher value. Now the master has to go and pay the value of his eye. And a second group comes along and says, and they say, the first thing that he knocked out was his eye, and then he knocked out his tooth. So according to the second group of witnesses, so the master only has to give him the value of his tooth. That the first group is contradicting the second ones. This is the middle group. Then that's why the master is saying like the second group. He's very happy with what they're saying. What does it say? Now that we've established the cases where there's two sets of witnesses and the middle set is the one that's getting contradicted. And then they become and they're contradicted again but they're contradicted to their person not just to what they said. And that's why they have to pay the value of the eye to the slave. Because what were they trying to get? They were trying to get the master to have to pay only the value of the teeth and not the value of the eye, which is a higher value. So now they were trying to take away that higher value from the slave. That's what they have to pay to the slave, the value of the eye. And everything makes sense. We could deduce from this, if this is the case, that when you have a contradiction, right? first the middle group is being contradicted, and then comes along another group and contradicts their person. So we see that they get what they attempted to cause to the slave to lose. Omar Abaye, so Abaye says you can't prove anything from there because you don't have to say that that's the case. It's not true. You could be that the case is as follows. That there was one group of witnesses that were saying something about this master and then there was a second group of witnesses coming to contradict the first group. And that's all you have, these two sets. What happened? The first group of witnesses comes and says that first he knocked out the eye and then he knocked out the tooth. Meaning, he wants him to only have to pay for the value of the tooth. Now comes a second group of witnesses and they say, no, that first group of witnesses couldn't have seen that because they were with us on that day. And not only that, but we actually saw what happened, and it happened on a different day, and that was that first he knocked out his tooth, and then he knocked out the eye. And in that case, according to Abaye, so the master is happy with the first group of witnesses. He'd rather that the, that it be true that he first knocked out the eye, and then the tooth, because then only has to pay for the value of the tooth. He's not so happy with the second group of witnesses. And therefore, according to Abaye, so there's no proof that we're talking about a case where it started off being contradicted, and then we transfer it into not just a contradiction to what they said, but a contradiction to their person. So therefore, there's no proof at all, and we end up with a different understanding of this pricing completely that does indeed work out without having to say that it's talking about the case of Rabbah. Mir Hashem, with God's help, we'll continue from here in the next Daily Daf.